0: For your support, it's time for another edition of Fighting for the Fade, Monday, October thirteenth, twenty fourteen. I do believe I'm gonna have to play our warning today. (laughs) That kind of program, you know? Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, and help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God, and sadly, there is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to slow down, stop, open up our Bibles, and see if what... So many of today's popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, internet celebrities, I don't know what to call them aside from that, to see if what they're saying is actually what God's Word says. A passage for us to consider today, if you would, is found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. These words should sound familiar to you. Jesus is speaking, and he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And here's kind of the part I want to highlight today. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. By the way, those words... Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, actually lend themselves to that uh, great reformation doctrine known as sola scriptura. And here's the reason why. We're, spe- we're to make disciples of all nations, right? The, you know, th- those of you who are Christians, part of Christ's church, the body of Christ. We have all been tasked with this job of making disciples of all nations. Baptizing. Teaching, teaching what? Teaching all that Christ has commanded. Uh-huh. Yeah, so where is the only place you can go right now to find the teachings of Christ? Answer your Bible, the New Testament.. Mm-hmm. So if we're if disciples are marked by those who are learners of the things that Jesus taught, the things that Jesus commanded, that would make them students of Scripture, right? Right. Now, if Jesus is with us always, even to the end of the age, and you, you take a look at, you know, for instance, cross-reference this with Jude, verse 3. Um, Jude, verse 3. Let me pull this up in my uh, computerized Bible. And uh, Jude, verse 3, I think, is actually comes into play here. Here's what Jude writes. This is the half-brother of Jesus. He says, Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, well, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Once for all delivered to the saints. Well, if the faith has been once and for all delivered to the saints, there's no new doctrine, no new revelation. Christ is with us even to the end of the age. We're to make disciples of all nations until Christ returns at the end of the age uh, and teaching them all that Christ has commanded, right? That means that the body of Christian doctrine and Christian revelation is going to stay the same from the time of Christ's ascension, if you would, until his return. Uh-huh. and where can we go now to find Jesus's teaching the written word of god if the faith has been once for all delivered to the saints we're not expecting new revelation new doctrines new developments in that sense we have well the once for all sufficient word of god those running around who you know on you know christian television and other places and even Christian Radio, uh, but not here at Pirate Christian Radio, claiming direct revelation from God, claiming to have all this extra stuff, these fresh revelation and things like that, that doesn't make any sense. The disciples that Jesus once made are those who observe all that he has commanded, and what he's commanded is documented for us in the New Testament. It's in Scripture. It's in the written Word of God. And the faith has been once for all, delivered to the saints we should not be expecting new developments fresh revelation and things of the sort and it always fascinates me that those people who are claiming to be receiving direct revelation from god you know that god's talking directly to them all the time that they're not pointing us to what christ has said and commanded in the written word and they never ever hear god say hey repent of your Bible-twisting and heresies. Isn't it weird? Why would God be speaking to these people who twist His Word and not have the first thing out of His mouth is, knock that false doctrine and Bible-twisting off? You get what I'm saying. So, anyway, what we're going to do today, um, and I will have to play our standard warning, what we're going to be doing today is we're going to start off with, well... Highlights, highlights, if you would. Maybe lowlights. That's a better way of putting it. Highlights from the very, very first ever internet broadcast of Patricia King Live. Now, thankfully, we're not going to be listening to her live. This was recorded while she broadcast on the internet live. And we'll play for you some highlights. But let me put it this way. This Patricia King Live episode... Was so long, we've pro. If we were to, you know, feature highlights from it, we probably have three, maybe four radio segments here that we could uh, take a look at. So we won't put it all into one episode. We might have a future installment sometime this week where we do highlights part two of Patricia King live because it's just really that bad. And, of course, my question is to that if this woman is really hearing from God, why isn't she doing what Jesus said to point us to what Jesus taught and commanded to the apostolic teaching found in the New Testament? Why is she teaching us all this really bizarre stuff? So we'll take a look at that. We'll take a break. And then after the break, we have a um, Terry Savelle Foy update. Uh, making your vision bit, uh, bigger than your memories, something to that, or your dreams bigger than your memories, something that, to that effect. Um, and then we're going to, we have a Joel Osteen update. It's been a little bit of time since we've done a Joel Osteen update. And then in hour number two, we're going to head to I Town Church and we're going to be listening to a sermon entitled Too Legit to Quit. And this is going to be another example of what we refer to here at Fighting for the Faith as. Psycho Jesus. Now, if you're not familiar with the past or that term, you know that 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 phrase, um, Isa Jesus, is kind of the 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 thing that it's built off of. Isa is a form of twisting God's word, where you read into Scripture things that are not there. And psycho Jesus is where you read into Scripture psychological analysis that doesn't exist in the biblical text in order to teach something that is relevant and fresh, and you know, and really, you know, tickles uh, itching ears if you know what I mean. So uh, that's what we're, how we're going to spend today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We have got a lot of ground to cover, and since what you're about to hear is really that far astride from like reality. I I feel like I need to do this before we dive into the rest of the program.
1: Warning, fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities. Operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity. For sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. Y-
0: y- yes, they are, and you've been warned. So, I mean, what can be better than a Patricia King update? Well, the answer to the question is simple. How about a Patricia King update highlighting the highlights from her very first ever uh, live broadcast? Um, Patricia King Live. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we're going to be listening to, and uh, I think Patricia King is the type of person here at Fighting for the Faith that doesn't really need too much of an introduction. So without any further ado, here's uh, Rod Hodgkin uh, to, uh, to lead us into uh, the very, very first episode of Patricia
2: King Live. Here we go. Hi, everyone. This is Robert Hodgkin, and I want to welcome you to the XP Media Missions Building, which is also our TV studio. We are about to do the first ever live broadcast of Patricia King Live, and I'm so glad you're here with us. Let's go inside and see what God has in store for us.
0: Yeah, why should I believe that God has anything in store for us inside of Patricia King's XP Media Building? She is a habitual twister of God's Word who doesn't actually teach the things that Christ commanded and taught. She teaches really, really bizarre doctrines.
2: So, we've been praying for weeks. The intercessors are praying. The, the excitement and anticipation has been building. A prophetic realm has opened up. Patric- a,
0: a, prof- a prophetic realm has opened up in the XP Media studio. Really, is that... <laughs> some kind of you know paranormal portal that's opened up there you know like they have at, in the deserts of arizona you know up there you know you know what i'm talking about in that uh, sedona area you know those vor- those paranormal vortexes yeah a prophetic realm is opened up inside the xp media studio And there she's ready to go i hope you're ready
2: to go because god has some exciting things for us tonight he has exciting things for you come on
0: yeah, I don't think God has anything to do with Patricia King's ministry, like, at all. Well, they got the live audience riled up. Hello
3: and welcome to this Rosh Hashanah celebration. We are so excited.
0: Rosh Hashanah celebration. So apparently we're being thrust back into the Jewish feast days. You know, um scriptures actually kind of uh, unbuckled us from the uh Mosaic Covenant feast days. Talk about that in a second
3: about this on many fronts. Number one, it's our very first live broadcast that we have ever done as a ministry and our first live audience. We've got people in the studio here. We've got them in the overflow room, in the red room, in in the hallways. We're having fellowship and food and feasting together as we're celebrating Jesus Christ, who is the head and is crowned this year with his bounty for his people. So I want to welcome you and share a little bit about Rosh Hashanah, actually, because maybe some of you are wondering, well, what is Rosh Hashanah? Because I was there just a few years ago. A number of years ago, I didn't know anything about the Jewish feasts. I didn't celebrate them. I had no training in it. And so you know, the Lord spoke to me one year and he said, Patricia, I want you to seek me and to prepare for Rosh Hashanah. It is the head of the year. In fact, Rosh Hashanah literally means head of the year. And he says... Now, what she said
0: just at the beginning of this Rosh Hashanah little bit that she's talking about there is actually quite important. She said, I never really understood this. I, you know, I was there. If you don't understand what Rosh Hashanah is, I was there with you just not that long ago. You know, the reason why that is, is because Christians have never, literally never made a practice of observing Rosh Hashanah, you know, the Jewish New Year. And the reason for that is because that is that under the New Covenant, we're not under the feast days and things like that of the Mosaic Covenant. This is what Scripture says quite explicitly. So when Patricia King says, you know, if you don't understand this Rosh Hashanah thing, oh, don't worry, I wasn't, uh, I, you know, I was there with you not that long ago. And the reason why is because, you know, the church hasn't taught this. So now why is it that nearly 2,000 years after Christ has died and risen from the grave, are we now bringing back the Jewish feast days and somehow God the Holy Spirit is speaking to people like Patricia King and wanting them to observe these these feast days? It doesn't make any sense. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, don't let anyone pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Mm-hmm. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism or the worship of angels or going on in detail about visions and puffed up without reason by his own sensuous mind, not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together through its joints and its ligaments and grows with a growth that is from God. Yeah, that's right. So God the Holy Spirit inspires the Apostle Paul to write in Colossians to let no one pass judgment on you regarding uh, a festival like Rosh Hashanah, a new moon, I think blood moons here, if you would, uh, or a Sabbath. Uh, these are a shadow. These were shadows. The reality and substance is found in Christ. This is what Scripture says. And don't let anyone disqualify you You know who go on you know talking about angels or insisting on asceticism or going on in details about visions this is what scripture says and i know that god the holy spirit inspired the the apostle paul uh, as for uh, patricia king yeah what she's saying actually contradicts what god the holy spirit said through the apostle paul 2000 years ago and god the holy spirit doesn't lie so we got a big problem here
3: Literally means head of the year. And he says, depending on how you prepare your heart before me in this year, postured for blessing.
0: So God the Holy Spirit told Patricia King, depending on how you prepare your heart this year during Rosh Hashanah, what will happen if I
3: prepare my heart properly, Patricia? Be the amount of overflow you will have in this coming year. Your posture at this time determines the uh, flow of the whole year for you.
0: So, uh, so you better get it right. At, during. Well, Rosh Hashanah has already passed. That was the end of September. So you know, you, if you didn't get it right during the season of Rosh Hashanah, you may have limited the amount of overflow that God wants to give you for this upcoming new Jewish year. This is not biblical teaching. Christ has not taught this. Why on earth would we be under this type of teaching, or God the Holy Spirit being saying things that are absolutely the exact opposite of what he said in the New Testament? It doesn't make any sense.
3: Started seeking him, and you know what happened? Revelation after revelation after revelation started coming, and I started getting downloads for and direction for what God was going to do all year long. So it became a very special time as I exalted Jesus as the head of the year and watching him year after year after year crowning the year with his bounty. And so it was a very prophetic season. It's a revelatory season. Tonight you are going to receive revelatory infusions, prophetic words. You are going to hear the Spirit speak on many different layers, so open up your ears to hear what He says. Yesterday, I was on a plane coming back from a ministry engagement, and I was, you know, just reading my Bible and that, and all of a sudden, the Spirit quickened a scripture to me out of Psalm 24.
0: He did, really?
3: It was, lift up your heads, O ye gates, that the King of glory may come in. And he took me into a vision, I started. I started meditating on the power of of, of of this vision, where Jesus is the head, and of course, we're the head of the year, the very first of the year in the Hebraic calendar. And so, I was pondering that, and then in the vision, I saw this open, open door, it was wide open, and the Lord said, if you will open the gates of your understanding, if you will open the gates of your heart, the gates to your future, the gates to your dream, and
0: Open the gates to your future and open the gates to your dream. What does that even mean and how do I go about opening such gates?
3: the head himself at the head of the year. You are going to see the glory of God pave a way for your life and for your ministry in this year. And I started seeing in this vision this 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 glory light coming in, and it was just like Jesus walked right through the open gate that which I had opened to him, and it was all this brilliant light, and it was like his invitation was just walk in behind me. The scripture says, Who is the King of Glory? He is the Lord strong and mighty. He is the Lord mighty in battle. And so he's going ahead to win your, your victories for you before you even know you have a battle. That's what this year is going to be full of for you. It is going to be an absolutely amazing time as we partner with the Spirit at this head of the year the reason why we're celebrating big with people from all over the world there's thousands of you from all over the world who have signed on to this web event we have had people from different nations saying i'm staying up all night because it's in a different time zone because i do not want
0: people willing to lose sleep for this pablum
3: this a celebration of the head of the year, and you know what? Jesus is worthy, and as you posture yourself, as you posture yourself right now, in the very first uh, day of the new year, you are going to see Jesus crowned this year with bounty for you. I perceive in my spirit right now that there are...
0: You perceive something in your spirit right now, huh?
3: Any of you that are going to be transitioning into major changes this year and that's why it's really important
0: oh yeah you're gonna be trans by the way this isn't prophecy this is fortune telling there's a big difference
3: to bring your heart before the Lord and to establish Him as the head over your life. Because some of these places you're going to be led, you've never been there before, you've never done it before. You might say, well, I don't even have the education or I don't have the know-how to go where God's calling me to go. But if you say yes to the revelation of the Lord that's coming to you, there's going to be a grace and a favor on you in this year that is going to mark your path like you can't even imagine. We want to be a blessing A huge blessing to all of you. We have gifts all throughout tonight. We're going to be sowing into your life. We have so many gifts for you. And one of the gifts we have is um, an opportunity for our prayer team to pray for any requests that you have. That's right. So on your screen right now, just under the screen, you will see a tab that says prayer. If you need prayer, just put it there. If you need a prophetic word, just push the prophecy button, and we...
0: (laughs) Push the prophecy button. Oh, my. Okay. So you kind of get an idea for the flavor of what's going on here. Now, I'm going to fast forward a little bit in... Patricia King live so that you can uh, get a a little bit more detail as to what is going on here. No joke. She was promoting the whole four blood moons thing. And uh, she goes on at this point, you know, to uh, describe the year five, seven, seven, five. Apparently, you know, with the uh, Jewish new year, five, seven, seven, five is a big deal. And then Patricia will go on and actually supposedly prophesy. But she's not prophesying. This is called fortune telling. Big difference. But let's listen in
3: going to happen but this is the first one this year since 1968 and so this year
0: she's talking about had blood had, moons
3: uh, april 15th on passover on the jewish feast passover we had a, blue, uh, a a blood moon and october 8th is coming up really soon right at tabernacles we're having another blood moon then next year on april 4th 2015 right on passover again another blood moon and another one next september 28th um, during the Feast of Tabernacles. This is so key because of what the prophecy says in Acts chapter 2. In the end days, there's going to be these signs in the heavens. And at that time, it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Therefore, we're in for a big heart. Yeah,
0: Acts chapter 2 is not prophesying the blood moons. That's happened, you know, these tetrads have happened so many times since Christ has uh, ascended. It's just absolutely ridiculous. This is not what the prophecy regarding the moon turning to blood is about.
3: People are going to be crying out to God in the midst of their despair, their distress, their losses. They will call out to the Lord and his salvation power is going to meet them at that time. And you know what's significant is today, the very first day of Rosh Hashanah? Do you know that this was a new moon day? We had a new moon here on the very first day of the year 5775. Now, I want to share a little bit about uh, the numerical value because the number five in the Bible actually symbolically, prophetically, speaks of the grace. Of God And the grace of God speaks of his, his undeserved, unmerited favor towards us, but also speaks of, of his empowering ability. So when you're under grace, it empowers you to do the will of God. It puts you right in the path of God. It is never a license for sin, but it will empower you to do righteousness. If you ever hear anyone say, oh, I'm under grace, so I can do whatever I want, that is not the truth, and that will only bring destruction into their lives. But this coming year is a year of increased favor and grace for you. And grace is given, the scripture says, to the humble. And so when... So
0: this is some kind of Jewish New Year, uh, you know, fortune telling program.
3: Recognize our need for God. He will increase grace. Grace is given to you when you have that humility. And it also speaks of favor, undeserved, unmerited favor. We don't deserve it, but God gives it as part of your covenant package. So I have a couple things I also want to...
0: Part of my covenant package? I, I haven't even opened up my covenant package yet. I didn't even know I had one
3: with at the end of the show. These are gifts for you. Amazing Grace. This is the hard copy, but you can get the download for free or the hard copies for 50% off during uh, Rosh Hashanah. And these specials will be up until September 26th until 6 o'clock that night. That's the end of Rosh Hashanah. And then this is the Favor Factor book, which teaches you how to walk in the divine favor that God has for you. When favor is operating in your life, you'll have promotion, open opportunities, Um, you'll be a blessing. Yeah,
0: I noticed that uh, the Patricia King Live is all about selling her heretical books.
3: Magnet, mag, you know, blessings will be attracted to you. It's awesome. And God is going to increase favor upon you in this year. The other number is the number seven, five, seven, seven, five. And the number seven speaks of fulfilled promise, completion, and rest. I wonder if she checked with William Tapley before she uh, filmed uh, Patricia King Live. This is a year for you where you are going to have fulfillment of promise. There's going to be a completion of maturing of the things that God has started in your life this year. And you're going to do it all out of the rest that God gives you within in your spirit because he is accomplishing it for you. Now, we have... 5775. So you're sandwiched in this year with grace and favor. You just, you know, just kind of get a picture of that being sandwiched in with grace and favor. And within that grace and favor is fulfillment of prophecies. In fact, you drag those ones onto your filing cabinet that haven't been fulfilled yet.
0: Yeah, so if you've got a whole bunch of unfulfilled prophecies, you know, from people like Patricia King and her gang. Haven't been fulfilled yet. No, don't worry. Now that Rosh Hashanah has come and we're now in the year 5775, well, pull those prophecies out because they're about to come true.
3: And, 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 just make decrees over that because this is the year for their fulfillment. Things that you've been longing for. This is a year of prophetic f- fulfillment. And there's someone watching this program that you have been desiring a baby. And the Lord says that there's an impregnation coming for you. Um, I see that there's been some miscarriages, some, um, you know, aborted, uh, uh, conceptions, uh, before. But this, this is the real meal deal that's coming because it's a time of fulfilled promise. For you. The other thing to note about 5775 is there's two fives and two sevens, which speaks of double portion. Double portion of grace and favor, double portion of fulfilled promises. And it also speaks of confirmation. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, it will be established, and whenever two or more agree together, touching anything that they may ask, it will be done. This is a year of acceleration for you. This is a year of progress for you, and I'm so excited. Now, there's one more thing I want to do before we uh, move on on and that's to share a word a prophetic word from a prophet friend of mine Johnny Enlow and Johnny Enlow I just love him he's a new testament prophet and, and 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 just totally speaks redemptive purposes and that's what the new testament prophet does it's not you know judgment and accusation and condemnation it is you know the heartbeat of god uh, for redemption and salvation and when you hear all these negative words that are out there you know it breeds fear it breeds unbelief and if you jump on board with those words you're just fueling you know the enemy's tactics where god wants to intervene he wants to set the captives free he wants to bring alignment and we can do that if we pray so i love johnny Enlow, and um here's his word now i can't give you the whole thing because it was a very long word but at the end of tonight's uh broad- so
0: here's the <laughs> reader's digest summary
3: You will have the link um, to his word, his entire word on this. And it's remarkable. But you're going to love what you hear tonight. September 24th, he says, is Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of the year of secrets revealed. Secrets revealed. Some time ago, I was shown that a great angel named Raziel would be released to God's people this Rosh Hashanah and he is coming
0: great angel named Raziel oh it's about time God released him I've been waiting for that one you know
3: accompanied by a great host of descending angels Raziel means secrets of God and he is an angel entrusted with revealing God's secrets unraveling mysteries and solving riddles now if the Lord Jesus Christ in person was to come to you right now and say, Hey, I'm going to send to you in your house, Raziel. He's one of my favorite angels, and he is going to, to reveal mysteries to you. Would you like to have this angel serve the purposes of God in your household?
0: Are you selling this angel? I mean, for four easy payments of 1995, you can have Raziel, the code-breaking, secret-busting angel? I mean, what on earth are you talking about?
3: This is actually exactly what God is saying to
0: us. It's exactly what No, it's not what God's saying to us. It's what you and this other non, you know, this kook guy who claims to be a prophet is saying to us. This is not what God's saying.
3: He says, he is an angel of wisdom, a great angel of wisdom. And I saw him and his angels coming down with many scrolls to hand out to trusted ones all over the globe. Now, a year ago, I had a scroll given to me by an angel. It was unfolded.
0: Really? You did, huh?
3: words in them. There's three specific scrolls given and each one had a word. And those words have come to pass in my life now. It's awesome. And so get ready to receive scrolls from the angel host. Now you might say, well, why do I need an angel? I mean, why not just God himself giving me what he needs? I don't know why God uses angels, but you know, you would think you would think that maybe, uh, you know, if he wanted Mary, mother of Jesus, to give birth to a son, that he would have come himself. But he sent Gabriel. And I don't know why he does it, but he does it, and so.
0: Yeah, um, I, yeah, I have no reason to believe God has sent Raziel. Let me read again Colossians two sixteen. Don't let anyone don't let, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival, or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments and grows with a growth that is from God. Mm -hmm. Scripture warns us about people just like Patricia King, and warns us about, well, television programs that broadcast live, you know, like Patricia King live. And did you hear anything about the apostolic doctrine, the apostolic teaching, what's recorded for us truly in the New Testament from Patricia King? No, not at all. But yet Jesus says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you behold i am with you always even to the end of the age this all of this doctrine that uh, patricia king put forward in this patricia king live program none of it is biblical None of it's apostolic. None of it's truly found in the New Testament. Instead, the New Testament actually warns us about the types of things that she's going on and on and on about, and tells us that in reality, Patricia King is not teaching us the truth. She's teaching us, well, the delusions of her quote-unquote sensuous mind. That's how Scripture describes her. So you get the point. Um, Yeah. what a mess and believe me when i tell you this thing was so long that i could do like three four programs alone just on the highlights of patricia king live it was really that bad so what do you think Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback@fightingforthefaith.com. or you can subscribe on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash Christian or follow me on Twitter. My name there, at PirateChristian. Quick break. When we come back, we have a Terry Savelle Foy update as well as a Joel Osteen update. Don't want to miss him. Stay tuned. We will be right back.
2: Birdcage Theater presents Church Day
1: Select.
2: And now, Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater proudly presents Sessions with Mildred. Now, Mildred. I have some very important information to show you in this next video. It's going to give you the tools necessary to know if you're hearing directly from God.
3: But anyways, Dr. Barbie, we are going to talk today about symbols. Yes,
5: I
2: like Because symbols.
3: oftentimes God speaks in symbols. So outside of symbols, what are some of the ways that God speaks to his people?
5: Well, major ways through his word. But His Holy Spirit speaks to us and communicates to it through a symbolic language, through even signposts on the highways, through music, through the dance, through nature. The other day I was at your home and a dove kept flying by the window. And to me it was the Holy Spirit bringing messages through the dove appearing, which represents the Holy Spirit.
2: So as you can see, Mildred, God talks to us in many, many, many ways in everyday life. Which is why... I got you this.
5: A Cracker Jack prize?
2: Yes. I mean, no. Do you have any idea how many box tops I had to send in for this thing? Um, no. It was a lot. It doesn't matter. Anyway, what you see before you is, in fact, your very own Holy Spirit decoder ring.
5: What does it do?
2: What doesn't it do? When I turn it on, it has the ability to warn you when the Holy Spirit is trying to give you an important message.
5: Like what?
2: I'll show you. We know that the Holy Spirit can talk to us in all kinds of ways. He could even be trying to send me a message through this radio right now. Hold on, let me change the station. radio for now (laughs) let me help you turn on the ring i have a great idea
5: why don't you take it
2: out for a test drive
5: aren't you gonna come with me (laughs) you know
2: i can't leave being under house arrest is so much fun if i were to leave my house for more than 20 seconds then the cops would show up and tase me again And who wants that? Now, here's how the ring works. When it beeps like this, that means that there's a sign that you need to see in the area around you.
5: Um, Mr. Sunshine, when the ring goes off, how am I going to know what the message is?
2: Trust me, you'll know. It'll be so obvious that you won't miss it. And on top of that, the ring will make this sound when you've guessed it correctly. It couldn't be simpler. You are now free to leave.
5: I'm really sorry to have to bother you at your house. They told me that these sessions are a part of the pastor's vision and that if I don't go, it will be a sin against God.
2: You think that somebody under house arrest would be free from any and all ministerial obligations, but no! I guess that would make too much sense.
5: I'm sorry that I cause you so much pain.
2: It's all your... I mean,
5: not your fault. <laughs>
2: my, my, look at the sun. It's time for you to go. Have fun with the decoder ring!
5: wonder when this is gonna go off. I see a McDonald's. I see a sign twirler dressed up as a hot dog and I see the town park. You want me to go to the park? Okay. a dog eating grass. His owner is picking up the poop and there's a bird flying towards the road. Is the bird a message? The little bird just got hit by the truck. I think I get the message. All I see now is a couple having a picnic by the pond.
6: You are such a jerk!
5: I think they just broke up. Um, there's a tetherball court. But there's no tetherball or rope. It's just a pole. I I don't see any kind of message here. I think you're broken. I'm going to take you off my finger now. Oh no, it's stuck. I'm going to have to go get some soap from the bathroom.
2: I can't let you do that, Mildred.
5: Oh dear, it's become self-aware.
2: Mildred, you and I are bonded as one. I am an instrument here to reveal his secrets to you. I will deliver his messages to you for it is his will that you should know them. We are going to be together...
3: Forever.
4: <laughs>
0: Don't pay more for travel than you need to. We're back. Warning, uh, people who are having you chase down prophetic bunny trails and, you know, read the cosmic tea leaves, uh, they're not actually prophesying. That's fortune telling. And they're pointing you away from the apostolic teaching. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world, and you can partner with us by visiting our website, FightingForTheFaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you are signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us. And of course, if you like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute you could do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to fighting for the faith and then send it to post office box 13344 grand forks north dakota zip code 58208 and let me thank you for your support because we cannot do what we're doing here without it all right moving along
2: hi bobby for right?
6: Sure, kid. Jump in. I'm a Barbie girl in the Barbie world. Black in plastic, it's fantastic. You can brush my hair, undress me everywhere. Imagination, life is your creation. Come
2: on Barbie, let's go party.
0: That's our uh, Terry Savelle Foy update music, Barbie Girl. Okay, now the name of the video that we're going to be listening to from Terry Savelle Foy is entitled, Make Your Dreams Bigger Than Your Memories. And of course, I've kind of have this problem, and that is, is that I don't seem to recall the biblical texts, you know, or the teachings of Jesus or his apostles where this was what they taught us to do. And so, you know, if Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching all that I have commanded, is this a teaching that God has commanded Christians to teach? That Christ has commanded us to teach? Well, if it's a doctrine we're supposed to be teaching, then why isn't it taught in Scripture? You see what I'm saying here? Let's uh, listen in
6: much for watching. You know, I want to take a moment to invite all of you ladies to our upcoming icing event. It's coming up right around the corner. It's October fourth and fifth. Of course, I said it's for women only, ages thirteen to ninety-nine. So, make plans to join me and my special guest Lisa Osteen Comas of Lake.
0: Yeah. So, if you're a hundred-year-old woman, good news—you uh, don't have to worry. You're not invited to uh, listen to this heresy.
6: Good church. I am so excited about this event. You know, I was praying about it, about the topic and the theme. What in the world does the Lord want me to share? And I just heard these words, run with it.
0: You heard these words, run with it. Why would God the Holy Spirit be speaking to you words other than repent and stop twisting my word and uh, don't believe the uh, word of faith heresy? Why wouldn't God be telling you that?
6: In other words, discover what it is that God wants you to pursue during your life. And don't just be average at it. Become an expert. Just run with it. Go all the way with God. Become the best at what he's called you to do. So we're going to have fun. So hurry and get all the information, make your plans, book your hotel, get a group of women, and come to Icing. It will be a sweet encounter. But, you know, talking about running with it, you cannot run with the plan of God for your life if you're still hanging on to the past.
0: Uh, what? I can't run with the plan of God for my life if I'm still hanging on to the past. So hanging on to the past
6: disqualifies me from the plan of God? What passage says this? And you know, this week on the podcast, I want to talk to you real quick based on the title of the first book I ever wrote, which was called Make Your Dreams Bigger Than Your Memories. You know, it says here on the front, don't let your past keep you from your future. You know, I only know how to speak from experience, and I obviously wrote this book. Based
0: That's an important uh, statement. I only know how to speak from experience. Your experiences do not rise to the level of Christian doctrine that I should be believing, teaching, confessing, or defending.
6: Based on my own personal experiences of hanging on to the past, not being able to fully embrace what God had for me. In fact, listen to these words. Shame and guilt will keep you from your calling.
0: Hmm. Shame and guilt will keep me from my calling. Um, that's not found in the Bible. That's not a biblical text.
6: Shame and guilt will keep you from your calling.
0: Jesus never taught this. Why are you teaching it?
6: You know, if you've ever heard my testimony before, just bits and pieces of some of the junk I went through, you've probably heard the story of how when I was in college, well, first of all, you know, I grew up this overachiever. People kind of described me as the happy-go-lucky kind of girl, cheerleader all through school, I was blessed to be the homecoming queen. And, you know, God just favored me with so many awards and, and wonderful things. And then as far as academics, you know, I was on the dean's list nearly every semester of college. Just that overachiever. Well, my last semester, I'm talking three months before I graduated from college, I got pregnant before marriage. And you talk about devastating. And you know, it was just shame and guilt came all over me. So consuming to where, I mean, I even wrote in my journal laying on the floor. I said, I want to die. And I really meant it. I couldn't bear the the fact of just telling my parents what a horrible person I really was. I wasn't this happy-go-lucky girl. I was hiding so much pain Um, things that I hadn't shared with my parents, hadn't shared with anybody.
0: So your parents didn't know that you're a sinner? Listen, I'm not trying to make light of sin, but see, the thing is there's a way to, to deal with sin. And the shame and the guilt that you felt regarding your sin probably is due to the fact that you know that you did not measure up to what God has revealed we should be doing. And when this happens, shame and guilt... Well, those that's God convicting us of our sin, but the solution to that is the forgiveness of sins won by Christ on the cross. If we say we have no sin, first John says we def- we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, but if we confess our sin, God who is faithful and just, will forgive our sin, cleanse us from all unrighteousness so you know it, it, what you're describing is sin the solution to sin is. Forgiveness. Forgiveness won by Christ on the cross, confessing that you've sinned against God. And in this particular case, sure, your sin impacts your parents, and you've, you've sinned against them. And you confess, and you say you're sorry, you repent, and you ask to be forgiven. This is how Christians are to deal with sin.
6: All the pain and things from being violated as a young girl, things like that. But the shame and the guilt that came on me, it took root in me. And, you know, after that experience, I mean, I jokingly, I I said to my roommate when I found out I was pregnant, I said, I'm just going to head west. I'm just going to run away and head west. And she said, you don't even know which direction is west. We're going to get through this. (laughs) Well, it was a journey. I mean, it was a process. And, you know, I got married and my husband and I did the best we could to overcome the past and move on with our lives. And, you know, it's amazing how on the outside, everything can look fine. But what's going on on the inside? What's going on on the inside of you that nobody else knows? Those memories, the pain, the unforgiveness towards yourself, towards other people, those things that are on the
0: first mention of anything to do with forgiveness. I mean, how can you talk about sin in your own life and not talk about the cross and how Christ has bled and died for those sins
6: inside of you that nobody would know, but you know it's there. You know, that's how I was. And I remember being at a convention and Old Roberts walks in and all of a sudden in front of everybody, he points to me and he says, there's something you're not letting go of. You talk about humiliated. Well, here's this famous man of God and all the TV cameras are on us and he's pointing right in my face saying there's something you're not letting go of. Well, I didn't even know what he was talking about, and he told me to lift my hands, so I raise my arms and he starts hitting my elbows, saying, "Let go, let go, let go and I'm standing there but-
0: yeah, that's really creepy um, where is the cross? Jesus says, "Baptizing, teaching all that I have commanded uh-huh where is the command to repent to be forgiven where is the cross this is the center of the new covenant and and the apostolic teaching in the new testament
6: thousands of people and i'm thinking of what like i don't even know what he's talking about well god knew what he was talking about it was seriously probably weeks after that i'm just out walking around this track at this football field and I'm just saying, Lord, what was Mr. Roberts talking about? What is it that I need to let go of? And I knew in my spirit the Lord was saying, it's the shame of your past. Let it go. Let-
0: yeah, the message of the cross is not, let it go, let it go. Yeah, and it's not, let it go. It's be forgiven. Ah! Yeah, you, you get the you get the point here. We're dealing with sin. The solution to sin was given to us by Christ. The solution is not let it go, it's repent and be forgiven. That's the solution. So I you get the point. And so that's our Terry Savelle, uh Foy update. And, of course, it seems like, you know, every time we have a, a Terry Savelle Foy update, you know, we can't not have a Joel Osteen update as well. So, uh, <clears throat> true to form, here we go.
5: When I'm feeling lonely,
0: sad, sad as I can be, all by myself, an uncharted island in an endless sea. What makes me happy fills me up with glee. Those bones
5: in my jaw that don't have a flaw, my shiny teeth and me. My shiny teeth that twinkle just like the stars in space. My shiny teeth that sparkle and beauty to my face. My shiny teeth that glisten
1: just like your like Christmas tree. tree. You know they
5: walk a miles just to see me smile. Woo!
0: Shiny Teeth and Me. All right, that's uh, Chip Skylark and uh, Shiny Teeth and Me. That's our Joel Osteen update music. So, um, we're going to be listening to a portion of a Joel Osteen message entitled Prepared Blessings. And, oh man, we've got a big problem with this particular message. Um, and it'll make itself evident as to what the problems are. And I'll point out biblically. Uh, what's missing here. Now, remember, I've been on this kick lately trying to give you some of the, uh, the the finer points of discernment. Part of discernment, a major part of discernment is not only listening for what somebody says, but also listening for what they don't say. Yeah, a half-truth is still a whole lie. That's kind of an important thing to keep in mind. So here's Joel Osteen about well, prepared blessings. Here we go. Discover Yeah, you need to discover the sinner in you, not the champion.
1: Well, God bless you. It's always a joy to come into your homes. And if you're ever in our area, please stop by and be a part of one of our services. I promise you we'll make you feel right at home. But thanks so much for tuning in, and thank you again for coming out today. And I'd like to start with something funny. I heard about this 85-year-old man. He was out fishing one morning and he heard this voice saying, pick me up. Looked around, didn't see anybody, thought he was dreaming. Heard it again, pick me up. He looked down and saw a frog. He said in amazement, are you talking to me? The frog said, yes, pick me up and kiss me and I'll turn into a beautiful bride. The man quickly picked the frog up and put him in his front pocket. The frog said, hey, what are you doing? I said, kiss me and I'll turn into a beautiful bride. The man said, no, thanks. At my age, I'd rather have a talking frog. (laughs) Hold your Bibles up. Say it like you mean it. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I will be taught the word of God.
0: No, you won't.
1: I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, God bless you. I want to talk to you today about prepared blessings. When God laid out the plan for your life, He lined up the right people, the right breaks, the right opportunities.
0: Now, do you recall Jesus ever teaching this or commanding the apostles to teach this doctrine? I can't think of a single passage or even a single church father that spoke like this.
1: He has blessings that have your name on them. There is promotion, contracts, a business, a spouse. He's already destined them to be yours. And if you will stay in faith and keep honoring God... one. If you will
0: stay in faith. Now, notice what the rewards are. The stay in faith, all of the rewards are temporal. What about eternal life?
1: One day, you will come in to what already belongs to you. It's a prepared blessing.
0: Yet Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. That's what Jesus says, and he went up to heaven to do it. Hmm. Why is it that your focus is on the temporal, the here and the now, the thing that is passing away? I mean, the reality is, is that any blessings that you receive here in this life are temporal. Your your life is like a vapor. Why are you not talking about how Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and the place he was speaking about, was the heavenly kingdom.
3: hmm
1: This is what happened way back with Adam and Eve. In the book of Genesis, it talks about how the first five days, God created the heavens, the earth, the sky, the land, the water.
0: Yeah, now this, this part of his sermon you know, is a, a pretty decent uh, synopsis of the days of creation. Listen in, listen in.
1: When he finished the big things, he didn't stop there. He started on the small things, the details. God planted a garden. He put beautiful flowers in it, luscious fruit. He designed these rivers to flow through it. He put precious treasures in the ground, onyx, gold, silver. He went to great lengths to make sure it was exactly like he wanted it, down to the smallest details. When he got finished with it, he put the last touches on this magnificent garden. The scripture says he took Adam whom he had just breathed life into and put him in the garden. Notice, Adam came in to a prepared blessing, something that God had already finished for him. He didn't get there and have to work night and day and constantly struggle and think, how am I going to survive? There were fruit trees all around, crystal clear streams flowing right before him, provision everywhere he looked. He didn't have to live worried thinking, well, i got food and water, but how am I going to provide for my family? How am I going to make a living?
0: Now, all of this is true. Now, what's he not saying? He's talking about Genesis 1 and 2. What's he omitting here? Genesis 3.
1: There were resources at his disposal. Onyx, gold, silver. Everything he needed to live a victorious, abundant life was right there in the garden. Yeah, victorious,
0: abundant life? Um... <laughs> How about a, a life of receiving the good gifts from God?
1: God had put it there specifically prepared for him. In the same way... So he's describing
0: what? Eden. Does God promise you Eden here on earth?
1: God has some prepared blessings in store for you. He's working behind the scenes, arranging things in your favor getting it all perfectly in place. So basically you're taking the story of
0: Eden prior to the fall and now you're basically extrapolating from that promises that God hey he's you know oh he's 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 got Eden ready for you here and now. No, this is not what scripture says. Genesis 3 is what he omitted and this is the important part. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to me uh, to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this cursed, are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field? On your belly shall you go, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. She shall, He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Yeah, this is the situation we find ourselves in. All of us born under the curse. Born dead in trespasses and sins, at war with God, and by nature objects of His wrath. This is what Scripture teaches. There's none righteous, no, not one. No one seeks for God. All of us are guilty. And this is why Christ dies for our sins because we cannot propitiate the wrath of God on our own steam, on our own efforts. We're dead. We're rebellious. So God himself takes on human flesh, and Jesus becomes the second Adam, as 1 Corinthians 15 explains. The second Adam who lives perfectly for us, dies in our place on the cross, suffers hell for us, and drinks to the dregs the full wrath of God and propitiates the wrath of God us. All is a gift. But see, what Joel Osteen did there is he basically went to the story of Eden prior to the fall and then extrapolated from that, oh yeah, just like God had this Eden for Adam and Eve. Oh, he's got these this Eden for you here on earth. You know, God's going gonna to work out all these blessings for you and all this kind of stuff. And he doesn't mention the fall or the curse or the fact that we're sinners and that we all are objects of God's wrath by nature because of this. This is what it means to scratch itching ears. And let me ask the question, is this the doctrine that Christ has commanded us to teach to those who are disciples of Jesus, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Or is is this an apostolic message that we're hearing? I can't find this message in Scripture. In fact, I see what Joel Osteen is doing is omitting you know, what the scriptures say in order to draw a large crowd and make merchandise of them. That's what he's doing. But see, part of discernment is not just hearing what somebody says, but paying attention to what they don't say. And yet Joel Osteen failed to mention the curse and somehow sets this whole scenario up that, oh, God's ready to make these Eden-like You know, blessings come to be in your life just like he set things up for Adam and Eve, and then he omits the fall. That is deception on the highest order. What do you think? All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. A sermon from I Town Church called Too Legit to Quit and more psychological, narcissistic eiseges. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back.
4: If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
0: Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? <laughs> Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some. <laughs> a Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. I know this is going to sound basic. Maybe that's the right way to put it. But here's the idea. Um, You can't teach sound doctrine while twisting God's word. I mean, I know that sounds like revolutionary kind of thinking here. But that's kind of the basic premise behind our sermon review today. But uh, let's do this right. good the bad the ugly we review it all here at fighting for the faith we're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service today's sermon comes to us via itown church in fishers indiana dave summerall presiding the name of the sermon is entitled too legit to quit too legit to quit and uh, we're going to hear some more psychological, narcissistic eisegeses uh, pertaining to the story of Jacob and Esau. It just seems like the psycho Jesus phenomenon, well, it it's, has ground zero. You know, the story of Jacob, Esau, uh, Isaac, and uh, Rebecca. It's just absolutely fascinating how all this works. So, I mean, you'll kind of get the idea of what's going wrong pretty quick in this sermon. The problem is you can't teach sound doctrine. You can't teach those things which Christ has commanded us to teach, the faith once for all delivered to the saints, while twisting God's word. The the two are mutually exclusive, if you know what I mean. So let me go ahead and back off the music here and uh, kill the music. Without any further ado, here's Dave Sumrall and his sermon entitled, Too Legit to Quit. Here we go.
4: That is just too awesome. I love it. I love it. Welcome, everybody, to the first installment of this series that we have called Too Legit to Quit. Go ahead and grab your message notes, and uh, I'm going to give you a picture of where we're going with this series. First of all, I want to say happy birthday to Itown. Today is our four year anniversary as a church. Yeah, awesome. We had uh the launch of our Castleton campus uh this morning. They had they joined us live for the teaching for the nine fifteen and the ten thirty service, and I'm happy to report back to you that we had four hundred and eight people attend down there in the two services. Isn't that amazing? Better than that, twenty three people made decisions for Christ today, so you can give God an even better hand for that. Isn't that wonderful? Awesome. Awesome. In this series, we're going to use uh, the opportunity to spend the next couple of weeks just talking about some issues that are pressing in all of our lives. And one of them, I believe, is the whole subject of parenting, how to have proper relationships with our kids and parents. And so some of you have kids you're trying to raise correctly. Some of you are worried about having kids because you're worried about raising them correctly. Some of you have parents that you're trying to raise correctly. And so uh, we're going to help you with all those relationships uh, next week. And then in week three, we're going to talk about the relational part of our lives. Many of us have been wounded by relationships in the past and we're harboring some things or maybe have some wounds that God wants to touch so that we can have healthy friendships. I think one of the most toxic things that happens to all of us is that we get hurt by people and we start to shut down uh, from relationship. And we're starting a brand new small group semester uh, the first week of September. And I want so desperately for all of you to be a part of it because I'm just telling you that life change happens in friendships. And so I promise you there are people, this church is big enough, there are people here who attend that, that are probably very similar to you and tastes and interests and people you get along with. And so I want you to find some friends, and I'm going to give you the the, the trust and the faith to put yourself out there uh, in week three. Today, I want to talk to you a a little bit about our past. I want to talk to you about our future that God has for our lives. Too legit to quit on your future, because so many of us have labels that have been assigned to us in life. Uh, Whether true or untrue, uh, oftentimes people will say things about us. Too legit to quit on our futures? Is this what
0: Christ has commanded his church to teach until he returns?
4: Categorize us and it creates a label that we carry through life that I believe uh, is mostly a lie. In most cases, it's a lie and it's holding us back, keeping us from the potential that God has for each and every one of us. And so I'm praying that by God's Spirit today, uh, we'll be broken from the labels that bind us so that we can have the future that God has intended each of us to have. I grew up with a label. Uh, I was in a ministry family. And while it wasn't true technically, I was always labeled. Broken from the
0: labels so that we can have the life that God would have for us? I thought that Christ sets us free from slavery to sin, death, and the devil. I had no idea that Jesus, you know, frees us from you know the toxic thing known as labels. Is the big problem that the world faces that with a bunch of people out there running around that have been improperly labeled?
4: Preacher's kid. And uh, my dad wasn't actually a preacher. He was involved in ministry, but my grandfather was. And so uh, there's not a lot of positive things that come with the label in today's culture. A preacher's kid. Usually they're pretty wild, fairly rebellious. And I have a huge heart, incidentally, for those of you who grew up as pastor's kids because of feel your pain. But at the same time, I just was uncomfortable with the label and it really impacted my life in so many weird ways. And I want to talk to you about that today because I believe that God wants to set us free from the labels that are possibly holding us back. But to get ourselves
0: set us free from the labels that are holding us back. So the big problem that humanity faces is this mislabeling problem. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those labels, they can just they can wreck you, man.
4: Up. I want to go through a few famous labels, ones that we all know and I want you to shout at me when you know the answer. So jump in and participate at any point. Today it's okay and every day actually to shout in church. Okay? Famous labels. Attila the Hun. Okay, let's get warmed up here. Conan the? Barbarian. Only old people know that one. Sorry, guys. Usually a, a, a very weak answer. Billy the? All right, here's one everybody will know. Buffy the? Vampire slayer. Okay, and then Winnie the? Pooh. Because you just have to say Pooh in church at least once a weekend. That's just the rules here at I Town Church. I want to start today actually by talking about the power that labels have. Because
0: the power that labels have, I mean, which biblical text is going to show me what, you know, how this um, terrible thing known as labels, I mean, and this power that it has, this doesn't make any sense. And deliver us from labels, Lord, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory.
4: They have incredible power in our lives. We're actually going to look for a couple of minutes at this guy that had a really bad label, got a pretty bad start at life. His parents' names were Isaac and Rebecca. We studied them. So we're going to study
0: the story of Isaac and Rebecca and the effect that labels had
4: on their children. What? This is in the Old Testament, and uh, they were a good... They were good people, but they were terrible parents from the standpoint of uh, they did not plan what they would name their children. Uh (laughs) Uh,
0: This is a a wildly innovative uh, retelling of the story of the birth of Jacob and Esau. So, so, So the setup is this, is that Well, you got Isaac and Rebecca. They're good people, but they didn't think through what they were going to name their children. So this is the setup for the story. Please tell
4: me more. Like, didn't they know you're supposed to go on a website and have like 87,000 conversations about what your children's names would be? Well, they did not. And so when their kids were born, they named them after their physical defects, which is really weird to me. And so the first son came out, and he was super hairy. Like covered in hair and like an animal, and so they called him Hair. That's what Esau means. His name is Esau, but it literally means hair. So they just called Hair. <laughs> like, and then the next. Oh no! Oh, he was. Oh, that's terrible. They bound
0: him to an awful label. I mean, I'm sure he had issues all growing up and for his entire adulthood. He probably had to go to therapy because his parents named him Hair
4: came out and he was holding the ankle of his brother and so they named him jacob which means heel like heel grabber yes holding on to your brother's heels they're like hair heel i'm done like now
0: notice he's not actually reading the biblical text here from from the book of genesis no he's giving us a summary so he's set this up that Oh, the, these, uh, Isaac and Rebecca, terrible parents. And now the, the, these kids are going to have problems, issues because of the labels that were put on them by their parents.
4: You just can't make this nonsense up. My work here. It's just terrible. It's a terrible parenting. And you can imagine in Jacob's life with a name like heel, he probably didn't feel love, probably didn't feel like he was all that planned probably didn't feel the the affection or the affirmation that a young man would probably need to be successful in life. So
0: so this, this label was keeping him back from being successful in life. I mean, he really wanted to be the CEO of a fortune 500 company, but his parents labeled him with the, you know, with the name heel. And, you know, now he doesn't feel loved and, and nurtured and doesn't actually have the, the right emotional bonds, you know, to his parents and to his brother. And, it, this has just destroyed him. Oh, this is terrible. I can't believe that <laughs> I've never understood this from this biblical text. I, if only I had known the psychological trauma that Jacob was going through because of the
4: power of labels. And it started to play out in some weird ways. And I think labels do the same thing to us. If you're going to take some notes today, get your pen ready. Jot this first one down. Labels affect our identity.
0: Quick, take notes here. Labels affect our identity. Yeah, Bible twisting could affect our eternity. And that's what you're doing, Dave.
4: First thing that labels do when they hold us back is they have power over our identity. Genesis 25, verse 27. We pick up the story. The, gr- the boys grew up. Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man. Staying among the tents, and so Isaac, the dad, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebecca, the mom, loved Jacob. Now, there's nothing m- wrong with being loved by your mama, but the problem here is that obviously there's something. The Bible's pointing to something that's, that's a little unhealthy that's taken place because most of the guys would. Bible's pointing to something unha- so psychological,
0: narcissistic, Isagesis going on here. This is otherwise known as psycho Jesus. And the Bible is nebulously pointing to the psychological disorder here, but, yeah, it doesn't come right out and say it, but thankfully we in the 21st century, you know, we can psychoanalyze this situation and realize the dysfunction in this family that was caused by the fact that they labeled their children with such terrible, awful labels. Did
4: they not understand that labels have such power over us? out hunting in the culture, like it was unnatural to stay amongst the tents. That's where the women and children would hang out and the men would go hunt and they would, take, they would take care of the cattle and all of the industry and and they'd work. And so you can see probably a little bit of rejection playing itself out in this little guy that uh, probably didn't love his name Heal because he probably just didn't feel that love by his dad. And then we see something, uh, an interesting dynamic in the parent relationship that Esau was just naturally good at something the dad had an affinity for. And so it's kind of a natural connection between that father and son. And because of it, he pulled away and swung closer to his mom. So he became kind of like a mom, more of a mama's boy. Uh, again, all of this is
0: psycho, Jesus. You're reading this into the biblical text. It's not actually there.
4: He felt really out of place in that culture. It would have been really strange for him To be that way. And I think a lot of us probably have labels that make us feel that way. Like, man, I just don't. My my identity's messed up. I don't feel like I fit in my family. Don't feel like I I really have the love and affection of my parents or the people who are supposed to love me. And I'm feeling kind of like a heel and, uh, and and certainly probably felt misplaced. Uh, even generationally, because uh, these days it's not very uncommon to be more of a mama's boy. Or, you know, he probably thought if I lived in 2013, 2014, I'd go get my hair frosted. And nobody would care, you know, like, but those days hanging around the tents is just a little strange.
0: And so, it- yeah, what do you know about ancient Middle Eastern culture? Yeah, I don't, I'm not convinced you know anything about it.
4: Impacting the way that he see in the world. And his identity, I think it happens to so many of us. Our perspective of the world is skewed because of these labels that have been assigned to us or that we've assigned to ourselves. Second one, jot this down, is that labels affect our decisions.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, see, I mean, poor Jacob. He, he's, he and Esau, they were both making bad decisions early on because the, their parents were
4: terrible in, in how they labeled them. Labels also affect our decisions. Jacob's family had some issues. They're a wonderful family. In fact, Abraham, his grandfather, was the one who had the initial promise to be the father of many nations. And he was the one that took the step to begin moving. And and God started working in their family and in their family's lives. In Genesis chapter 20, we find out he still had some issues. Verse 1, it says, Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar. And there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, She is my sister." Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. Now, a couple of things that are going on here that are are a little strange, okay? The first thing is that in chapter 18, God said of Sarah that she was too old to have children anymore, and two chapters later, she is still so fine that a king wants to marry her. You talk about a cougar, you know what I'm saying? Like in Scripture, she's just a really good-looking older lady, that's not the point I'm trying to make, but uh, the other thing that I think inter- just interesting observation is yeah that is
0: absolutely the first time I've ever heard anybody who claims to be a pastor refer to Sarah as a cougar. I wish I'd never heard it.
4: She actually was Abraham's sister, so he wasn't completely lying. When he said, She's my sister. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that at some point in human history, they were like, We got to stop marrying sisters. You know, like, we got to quit. We got to quit all this stuff. So they did, thankfully. The point I actually do want you to see is that Abraham had some character issues. Like, he wasn't really uh, uh, a perfect.
0: I- issues. Yeah, he had issues. Yeah, Abraham, well, you know what? He's a sinner just like you and I. That's kind of the point. The only person in the Bible that is sinless is Jesus. He's the only one who didn't have issues. That's kind of the point. And see, what's going on is is that in the story that we're being taught so badly, is that who's the story about? It's about Jesus. What happens in the Garden of Eden? Remember, I read it earlier today on the program, that the Lord, well, there was this little promise here. While he was cursing the serpent, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's a promise of Jesus. People, Theologians call that passage there uh, the Proto-Euangelion, the very, very first gospel. And so the reason why we follow the story of a particular genetic line in the Hebrew um, genetic uh, code, if you would, through the generations that are recorded in the book of Genesis is specifically due to the fact that what's going on here is we're following the line of the Messiah. we're following the line of the Messiah and when you read, In Genesis, in Matthew, sorry, Matthew chapter one, we get the genealogy of Jesus, and it reads like a who's who of the patriarchs, good and bad in the Old Testament. And there's a reason for that; it's because everything is coming to a head, the apex. It's all pointing us to Jesus. And I'll kind of point this out: this, this, you know, in his psychological misanalysis of. Uh, of the parenting skills of Esau and Rebekah because oh they they they're terrible. Did they not understand the the power, negative power of labels? That's not what's going on in this text. Genesis 2519. These are the uh, generations of Isaac. Abraham's son Abraham, fathered Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, a Padan a Ram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord, And so even back then, who's the one that's going to have the Messiah coming through? It's not the firstborn, Esau. No, it's the secondborn, the heel-grabber, Jacob. And this is what the Lord prophesied. And so the blessing of the Messiah, the Messianic line, doesn't come through Esau. It comes through Jacob, the secondborn son of of Isaac and Rebekah. And that's what's going on in this text. And that's kind of the struggle and the tension who is acting in accord with this prophecy given directly to Rebekah. Isaac acts contrary to it and wickedly doesn't believe it and wants to put the blessing on Esau. Whereas Rebekah knows and remembers the word of the Lord spoken to her, that the younger would be the one Who will be in the prime seat, the one who has the blessing, and the older shall serve the younger. She heard and remembered and trusted this word of the Lord and acted accordingly. This is what's going on in this story. But are we hearing anything about the Messiah, the messianic line, and and this prophecy? No, we're not hearing any of that because Dave Summerall is too busy trying to find relevant. Life applications that you can apply to your life here, thinking that this is all about learning about the uh, overcoming the negative power of labels, and yet nothing could be further from the truth. We continue.
4: Which nobody is, so it gives us encouragement. It's why the Bible tells us stories about guys like this. With all of his faith and all the promises and the amazing things that God used Abraham to do, he was still quite a chicken. Because I don't know any woman that's sitting in here who's married to a man that would be okay with your husband just like giving you away to someone else in marriage because you were nervous for your own life. And that was Abraham. He gave up his wife because he was too nervous. He didn't have enough strength, enough integrity, enough character to say, she's my wife, what about it? You know, like, can't touch this. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's my wife. But he didn't have that. He gave her up. Now, the interesting thing is that in the exact same country it happened in the next generation so that was Jacob's grandfather now look at Jacob's dad uh, Isaac he moved to this exact same place Genesis chapter 26 verse 7 when the men of that place asked him about his wife he said she's my sister because he was afraid to say that she's my wife he thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she is beautiful so here we have some uh, very weaselly guys with no backbone that apparently have a lot of game because they're marrying very pretty women. I don't understand exactly how that's happening. Maybe that's a generational blessing kind of a thing, but they keep landing all these really good-looking women, but they don't have the guts to stand up for them. You can see that they're not exactly honest. They've got this integrity issue willing to give up their wives to protect themselves. That's what Jacob was born into, and then when we look at his name, Jacob in the Hebrew not only means uh, heal, but it also means deceiver. So he's got this generational label thing going on that I think some of us here today struggle with. Oh, Your grand, grandfather was a drunk and your daddy was a drunk. You're always going to be a drunk. Well, you know, that family, they're always they're always upset. They just struggle with anger. That's just what they do. Once a cheater, always a cheater. Everybody in our family's always cheated on their wives. This is how it goes.
0: Yeah, um uh, you do know that we've all inherited our sinful nature from Adam and Eve. Um, so this idea that we're all born dead in trespasses and sins, this goes all the way back to the curse. This is the doctrine of original sin. And so you're talking about the generational impact and longevity, if you would, of uh, the effects of sin.
4: That's exactly what this Bible teaches. Run into these things, and we start to buy into these labels. They start affecting the decisions in life.
0: No, 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 no. It's not that you buy into the label. You are truly dead in trespasses and sins and a sinner by nature. That's not a label. That's a reality. And it doesn't impact your – it's not that you know, the somehow then it begins to impact your decisions. No, you sin because you're a sinner. That's how this
4: works. Follow Jacob's life. He actually falls into that trap. He becomes a manipulator, a deceiver. He, he works the people around him to push his own agenda, always sacrificing what's best for others to do what's best for himself. And it's a- What are you talking about? That is not the story of Jacob.
0: You're just making that up. And, then, and now you're slandering the patriarch, Jacob, who ultimately has his name changed to Israel. And it's his sons who are, have formed the names of the 12 tribes of Israel.
4: Good night. Flaw. It's a label that he inherited all the way back from his grandfather. I believe God wants to set us free from the things that bind us, the labels that bind us. Even I believe that God wants to set us
0: free from false doctrine and, and false teaching and those who are enslaving people with false doctrine and false teaching. I, I believe that's what Scripture says very clearly.
4: True or untrue, many of us have bought into these lies that you'll always be this way. You'll never be happy. You'll always be depressed. It's just how our family goes. You'll always struggle with your way. You'll never get it under control. It's just what we do. Labels
0: no, not labels, the impact of sin, being under the curse, being born dead in trespasses and sins, and by nature, an object of God's wrath
4: that hold us back. So many of us fight them. The last one, jot this down, is that it starts showing up in our relationships. They affect the way we see the world. They begin to affect our decisions, and then they start showing up in our relationships. Now, Jacob As you can imagine, with a name like Heal, is probably uh, starved for the love, the affection, the affirmation, attention of his father.
0: As you can imagine, he's just, oh man, psychologically just, you know, come up with the short straw. It's just terrible. He has all these emotional needs that are not being met, but he's been just gruesomely and terribly and just brutally labeled.
4: She's willing to do just about anything at this point. Isaac's about to die, and in their culture there was a, a little thing that would happen where he would pass the blessing of the family name and, and the family blessing on to the firstborn son in the next generation. So it was supposed to go to Esau. So Isaac pulls in Esau and he says, Listen, hare, I'm really hungry. So why don't you go out and hunt for, for the family and find some food for me and bring it back and prepare it the way I like it? And when you're done, I will give you the blessing. Well, Rebecca, the mom, she hears about this, and she, remember, she's got the mama's voice. She says, listen, son, we're gonna, I'm going to get you in for the, the dream is going to come true. Like, I'm going I'm to make this food for you, and then you're going to present it to your dad as though you were your brother, and we're going to steal the blessing. And, and uh, Jacob says, Mama, that's not going to work like Esau. Yeah, no, actually, Rebecca was not trying to steal the blessing.
0: Remember, I just read the word of the Lord came to her, and God prophesied to her specifically, a, a for real prophecy, that the younger would be the one who's in the primary seat, not the older. God had said he has basically chosen the older uh, one to, to serve the younger. And she is acting on that word of the Lord. Isaac is acting contrary to it. And uh, that's really part of the tension that's going on in this passage, is that one is acting in accord with the word of the Lord, and the other is acting in rebellion to it. Yeah, so this wasn't about deception, you know, in order to, you know, just because, oh, he's become a bad character. No, this is about doing whatever it takes, because the word of the Lord needs to be fulfilled, right? Yeah, it, although, yeah, this, there's even some problems in how it's done, but I mean, that's really the tension in this story
4: name is hair. He's like super hairy. I got waxed yesterday. like, this ain't going to work. You were there. Like, I don't don't know how this is going to go down. And she said, it's cool. I'll make the food. Your dad, Isaac at this time was blind. So he couldn't see. And she said, we're going to strap some goat hair on your arms, like goat skin on your arms. And uh, we'll, we'll trick your dad. Well, Jacob has this deceiver thing going. So he, he goes for it. And uh, he walks into his dad and he takes the food. And, uh, and Isaac says, you sound like Jacob. You don't sound like Esau. It's the wrong son. How'd you get back so fast? And he said, oh, the Lord gave me the opportunity. It was great. It went fast, dad. It's really me. And he said, you need to come over here and let me touch you. And that dad felt a goat and was like, yep, that's hair. <laughs> like how, how hairy was Esau, right? He's like feeling a goat. Like, yeah, that's my son. So anyway, they tricked him. And he gave the blessing to the wrong son. Well, Esau gets back. You can imagine the fallout relationally. No, no, actually, he gave
0: the blessing to the right son. The one, the son that the Lord prophesied
4: should have the blessing. Of what Jacob has done. Genesis 27, verse 35. Isaac says, your brother came and deceived me and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, that's his label. Isn't that why we call you that? Because he's cheated me twice, took my rights as the firstborn, and now he's taken my blessing. See, here's the thing that happens, guys, is that we buy into these lies eventually. We start living out the things that other people have spoken over us.
0: Wow. Talk about missing the whole point of the book of Genesis and the story. And yet it's so easy to catch if you just pay attention to the details and actually exegete the passage and read it in context. Oy! We continue.
4: We start living out the toxic lies. We start becoming the things that other people have said. We start buying into the label and we begin to set limits. We set ceilings for ourselves. We think this is all I'll ever be. This is all that I'll ever have. This is all I'll ever be able to do because we start listening to the voices of others that tell us you're just like that. You're just like this. This is who you are. I actually gave you a blank there where you can do a little exercise this week. What's the negative label that you've accepted in your life? What is it that people say about you? What is it that you have believed about yourself that is just a lie? Is it that you're a doormat that you can't stand up for yourself? Or maybe that you're lazy or that you're, that you're a basket case. You're the drama queen, the over-emotional one. Or you're the party girl. Or you're the guy that just can't settle down and can't commit. Or you're the person that's the addict. You're the alcoholic. You're the crazy one. Whatever it is. Yeah, it's not like
0: somebody labeled somebody, hey, alcoholic, and then you went, (laughs) I'm sick and tired of people calling me alcoholic, so I think I'm just going to become one. No, 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 no. Who authorized him to teach this? Is this what Jesus taught? Is this what the apostles taught? Answer, no. <clears throat> Romans 5, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from the time of Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died through one man's trespass, mm-hmm, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man Jesus Christ abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For judgment, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. We were all made sinners by the one man's disobedience, and that's Adam's. So by the one man's obedience, that's Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Uh Uh-huh. You see what's going on here in the text? But see, what Dave Summerall is teaching is not what Scripture says. This is not the apostolic teaching. This is some... Seeker driven, relevant life, you know, principle type thing. Oh, you got to be set free from labels. No, you don't. You need to be set free from <laughs> slavery to sin. And now all of that has come about as a result of the one man's trespass. And the only solution is the righteousness of the one man, Jesus Christ, who is given to us as a gift when we're brought to faith in him through the working of the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of the gospel. So the solution is the crucified and risen Savior, the second Adam, Jesus Christ. But see, that's not what we're hearing here, and we Dave Summerall is completely oblivious to what the Bible teaches regarding what sin is and how it impacts us, and it's not the power of negative level uh, labels, it's the power of sin over people brought about by the curse because Adam and Eve disobeyed god we continue
4: have these labels that people have placed on us i think it's important for us to take a moment to actually process what they are because i think a lot of us have been labeled in life and we're allowing that label to affect the way that we view the world and the decisions that we're making but we haven't consciously processed the fact that it's a label
0: like it's so the solution to the label problem is realize oh i've been labeled oh! now this is going to make me make better decisions now that I know that I've been labeled improperly. Wrong. No, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yeah, this is a sin problem, not a label problem.
4: ...hitting the course of our lives, but we're not seeing it because it's a subconscious thing that's happened to us. And I think it's important for us to consciously process it, to get it out in the open so that God can begin to deal with it. Because I think God wants to set every one of us free. And that's the exact process that happened in Jacob's life. Later on in his life, uh, he's traveling back to see Esau for the first time since he stole his birthright from him. And you can imagine how nervous he is at this moment because he's not really... Uh, a strong warrior kind of a guy like Esau can't defend himself. So uh, he's traveling back very nervous about Esau's response to him returning. On the journey back, God actually shows up. He has this moment where he wrestles with the Lord. He didn't realize it was the Lord as this guy and they're wrestling. The Bible says like all night long, just straight MMA, putting moves on each other. And Isaac like gets hurt in the per Jacob gets hurt in the process. His hip gets all messed up and he limps for the rest of his life. And in that wrestling match, there was this moment that God forced him to process the truth about himself. What? God forced him to process
0: the truth about himself? What are you talking about? You see, he's just making stuff up because you know what, it's, what he's not doing? He's not actually reading the text.
4: Uh, we continue. And Just before everything changed in his life, God said, who... Are you? No,
0: not exactly. God asked Jacob, Genesis 32, 27, what is your name? He didn't say, who are you? He said, what's your name?
4: They're a little bit different. Jacob, who are you? And for the first time in his life, I believe he came face to face with who he really was. <laughs> Psycho Jesus, run Jacob was his response. He was saying, I'm a deceiver. I'm a manipulator. I'm a person that puts myself first at the expense of others. I've always felt like a heel. I never felt like dad wanted me or loved me.
0: (laughs) So this was the big Alan Alda moment, you know, in the book of Genesis, you know, where Jacob, you know, gets into the fetal position and starts sucking his thumb. You know, I, you know, I've never felt like my father wanted me because I was improperly labeled. and Oh, good
4: night. Felt kind of like an afterthought, and I never really felt the affirmation and the affection of my father that I felt I deserved. And, and so I've worked, and I've manipulated, and I've done what I could to try and make a way for myself in my life, but obviously it's not working out so great. He had a moment where he came face-to-face face with who he really was, and I believe that all of us... And yet the text doesn't say what you're saying that it means. I mean, it doesn't mean that
0: either. It doesn't say it. It doesn't mean it. I mean, you're just making stuff up here because you're sticking psychological nonsense into this text. It's not there. And the only reason you're able to get away with making it look like it's there is because you're not actually reading the text.
4: ...to process it, not because it'll make us depressed about the labels that have been assigned to us, but because once we find out what that label is, then we can realize that the name of Jesus is higher than any label that you could possibly have in life. So
0: salvation basically comes about by undoing bad labeling. Again, this is not the gospel. This is a different gospel.
4: The true or untrue, it doesn't matter what anybody has said about you, the power of God can set you free... From the labels that have held us back in our past.
0: The power of God is going to set you free from the labels that have held you back. Is this a is this he preaching repentance and the forgiveness of sins? What was Jesus doing on the cross? Was he like the ultimate, you know, was that you know the experience that undid all bad labels? Was he breaking the power of labels by dying on the cross? I don't think so.
4: And you'll never see your future until you wipe away the smudge of yesterday. Until we break the power of the labels, break the
0: power of the labels. You'll. Oh, good night. Salvation via be properly
4: being labeled held us back. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse seventeen. It says that anyone who is in relationship with Christ. Becomes a brand new person. That that old life, the old labels, the old association is going Yeah, uh,
0: Second Corinthians five seventeen doesn't say anything about labels. You're making that in the
4: text when it's not there. And this brand new life begins. We get a fresh start, and God wants to do some new things in your life and in mine to help us break the labels of our past, so that we can be who God's called us to be. Let me give you three of them. Jot these down. Number one. God, first of all, wants to start by giving you a new name. You need a new name. In verse 28 of chapter 32, the next verse, after Jacob comes to the grips with who he was, the response was from God, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have wrestled with God and with humans and have overcome. What God is saying is, I'm going to assign you this new name. The first step to your new life is that you get a new name, Jacob. I'm going to call you Israel. Israel means that the Lord will prevail, that God will prevail. So what he's saying is, you don't have to wrestle any longer yourself. You don't have to be a manipulator and a deceiver to get your way in life. That you can surrender to God. Yeah, he's not paying
0: any attention to what is really going on in this text at all. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous what we're hearing here because this is not what the Bible actually teaches.
4: And he'll step through by his power and he will prevail in your life. That God's power is greater. What a great message for him. And I believe a significant moment in the history of their family because what he did was... He stepped up and said, I know that my grandfather struggled with this, and I know that my father struggled with this, and I know that I have struggled with this, but it ends with me.
0: Uh, which monologue? Uh, can you point me to that monologue in the Bible? I don't recall that monologue spoken by Jacob.
4: Our family's not going to be known for being manipulators and deceivers. We're going to be full of character and integrity, and God, I want you to change my life. I want God's power to shine through me. And, and isn't it interesting That the entire nation that was promised to Abraham is actually named after his grandson. It'd be logical to me that Abraham had the promise. It should have been the nation of Abraham, but it's not. It's the nation of Israel. To this day, the people are called Jacob's new name. Because God then undid all the bad labels,
0: which had caused them to do all those bad things.
4: Because he stepped up and said... I'm going to break the curse in my family for my generation and for generations after me. A new name. God wants to give you a new name. In fact, in Isaiah 62 and verse 2, it actually says that you'll be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow, that God comes and gives you a brand new name when you get in relationship with him so that your new name is forgiven, that your new name is overcomer. That your new name is spiritual leader, that you're physically fit, that you're financially responsible, that you're completely free, that you're full of joy. Those are the types of names that God. So uh, you
0: become a Christian and you'll be physically fit because you have a new
4: name. (laughs) Who knew? You as his kids. He wants to change your name. We need God to allow us. To have our name changed so that we can break this curse of the labels of our past. Number two, so that we can see the purpose that he has for our lives. God wants to change your name. And in that name change, it's also connected to a new future, to a new purpose,
0: to to a new. So the purpose driven false teaching heresy goes along
4: with this. Wow. And that God has for your life. I love the story of this guy, Simon. In scripture. He was one of the 12 guys Jesus selected to really pour into. Eventually became a great leader, but he was a mess when Jesus found him. And uh, he was a fisherman. He wasn't very good at fishing because every time the Bible talks about him going fishing, he never caught anything. So I don't know how he survived, honestly, before he met Jesus. But his first interaction with Jesus was really interesting to me because he meets him for the first time, and, and they enter to Simon. This is Jesus. Jesus was Simon. And Jesus looks at him and says, I'm going to call you Peter. like... Could you imagine meeting somebody for the first time? Like, hi, my name is Dave. Like, no, I'm going to call you Bill. Like, what? I don't even know you. You're just going to call me some random name. That's what he did for Peter. Like the very first time, I'm not calling you Simon. I'm going to call you Peter. Why? Well, Peter means rock, which doesn't make any sense in their initial meeting. He had to grow into his name. Peter was far from a rock when Jesus first called him the rock, which incidentally was not invented by Dwayne Johnson. It was Jesus. He came up with that title. He said, I'm going to call you the rock. And I know you don't, you probably feel like a pile of goo right now. I'm going to turn you into a rock. Well, Peter probably didn't see it in his life. There was a moment later in Jesus' ministry as they were walking along one day and, and Jesus had to have been frustrated by this conversation because he stops his guys and says, Hey, You've been out doing ministry. What are people saying? Like, how are we doing? They're like, of course, telling people that Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, had come to forgive people of their sins and to save Israel.
0: A, a mention of the forgiveness of sins, but it's not really a main point now, is it? You know, it makes me wonder if I if I should, you know, out of, uh, sake of, for the sake of tradition, play our gospel nugget soundbite. Yeah, I think I will. That, that was what we call a gospel nugget. Here we go. Now, if you blinked, you missed it, but that was the gospel flying by really quick. I hope you caught it, because you're not really probably going to hear much about it for the rest of the sermon. We continue.
4: Some people think that you're John the Baptist, your cousin. Other people think that you're like Jeremiah or maybe one of the other. All the answers were wrong. At that moment, Jesus had to been like... Somebody tweet, you know, like we had to fire the PR campaign, right? This is really bad. Nobody knows what we're here doing. Like all of the feedback. Notice he's, he's basically cast Jesus in the role of a
0: vision casting mega church, seeker driven leader, weird,
4: wrong, probably very discouraging for Jesus's ministry. Then he asked him the question. Okay. So obviously everybody else has it wrong and you're listening to that all the time. Have you processed that? Like, do you, what do you think? Who do you say that I am? And Peter stopped dead in his tracks and said, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. He he, all of a sudden shifted into this boldness, this strength that God saw in him when he called him as a fisherman. And Jesus' response in Matthew 16, verse 17 is, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. That wasn't revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. You're getting it. And I tell you that you're no longer Simon, you're Peter. This is the rock I was talking about, and I'm going to build my church on people like this, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. See, God had to do something
0: special. Yeah, no, actually, if you know you're Greek, Jesus isn't building the, the, the church on people like Peter. He's building it on Peter's confession that
4: Jesus is the Christ. We continue. In his life, and when God first called him the rock... He certainly wasn't like the rock. He was more like a wave of the sea, just emotional and crazy. And even during Jesus's ministry, he was offensive. He was always making mistakes. He was always saying crazy stuff. In fact, even right up to before Jesus died, he was like his bodyguard and tried to defend Jesus in the garden. And he was a terrible swordsman. Like you ever thought about how bad you have to be with a sword if you try to chop somebody's head off and you miss so bad that you only hit their ear? Well, I've seen a terrible
0: swordsman in this sermon. If you think of God's word as a sword, which is what Paul describes it as, the sword of the spirit, you are an awful swordsman. You mishandle God's word in an egreg- in egregious ways. It's rather embarrassing and awful to listen to because you're not rightly teaching the people under your charge. Christ has charged you to teach those things that He has commanded and you ain't doing it. you're mangling God's word. You can't teach sound doctrine while twisting God's word. I mean and why have it why don't you ever actually read a text? It's as if you purposely don't want the text to actually say what they say. So you tell the stories the way you want to run through your theology,
4: because if you were to
0: read them cold, they don't agree with what you're saying.
4: That's really bad. I don't think I'd feel safe with him as a bodyguard. You know, like he's just not very good at anything. And then he follows that performance by denying Jesus three times. Certainly wasn't living up to the new name that God had given him. But the thing that's so cool about watching his life is there's some supernatural shift that happened in him. There were... You see, because the the
0: big thing that made the big difference in Peter's life is he was he was finally properly labeled. Once you get the right label, then the good things will start happening eventually to you. Salvation via via labeling.
4: ...is of greatness all along the way. But at the end of Jesus's life, when Jesus came back to life right before he went to heaven. He had a moment with Peter that shifted in his heart of his call and his purpose, and Peter stepped in to the call of God for his life and was such a rock that he stood up on the day of Pentecost and got 3,000 people saved amongst all of the uprising and conscience. Uh, Peter did that? I thought
0: the Holy Spirit did that. See...
4: Preached the very first
0: message of the local. Q sappy music. This is to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is descending on the audience now in order to, you know, do business with people.
4: And then lived out this amazing life in ministry and was actually crucified for his faith. But he was such a warrior that he said, I'll never hang on a tree like my Savior. And so they crucified him upside down. And he died for the cause that he believed in. See, I think that God wants to do something special in every one of us. I believe God has a purpose for all of us.
0: So the the bottom line here is that we all have a purpose. Are you going to preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins or not? It starts with this new
4: name that always links to...
0: Yeah, no, apparently everything hinges on whether or not you're properly labeled.
4: Something greater than what we're doing. Peter started as a fisherman, but God said, I see potentially now I'm going to build my church. You're the rock. And I think God sees greatness in every one of us. He's calling us away.
0: It's weird that you'd say that because Jesus says that, uh, you know, you're evil. Yeah, and he says out of the heart comes all kinds of sin and stuff like that. So somehow you think that we all have potential? The, The thing we have potential to do is to sin.
4: From the fishing nets and the mundane issues of life to make huge impacts in the world around us. And oftentimes the things he calls us to do are connected to the weaknesses of our past. God has a very special way of tying into the things, the old labels that have bound us to actually become the kind of story and message that we get to share with others. God wants to give us a new name. So he can give us a new purpose. So number three, we can find our new future. God has a great future for every one of us, but it's so hard many times for us to see because of the stain of yesterdays. So we have to take... Uh, is that future eternal life with him? ...journey. It's amazing looking at Jacob's life. As the nation of Israel is one of the most blessed nations on the planet, it's scriptural. And you just can't flat ignore the facts that the Jewish people are highly favored by God. If you look at the impact that the Israeli people have had on the world at large and the number of Nobel Prizes and inventions and wealth and everything that they've accomplished, you can't deny the supernatural hand of God on that country, which is why we stand and pray for Israel, as Scripture tells us to. What a legacy he left behind, the future that was changed because of one man. The Bible says that's true for us, too. In Jeremiah 29.11, it says God has hope for you, that there's a future, there's a different plan that he has for your life. And now you're twisting
0: Jeremiah 29.11, which wasn't written to you. Not that way. I mean, go read it in context. The promises there have to pertain to, well, they actually do pertain to the children of Israel in exile. Yeah. We continue...
4: And that there's nothing that you have walked through, there's no mistake that you've made that can keep you from it. In fact, there's an amazing story I want to close with about this little girl in the Old Testament. Her name was Rahab. She's kind of an obscure person in Scripture, but very significant in human history. She was only mentioned eight times in Scripture. And six of the eight times you find her name... Attached to her name is the negative label of her past. She was a prostitute.
0: Yeah, that would be a description of her, um, the, the, her career path. Um, yeah, that means that she actually, you know, she was, you know, a sinner. You know what I'm saying? It's not a label. It's not like uh, somebody said to her, "You prostitute," and she went, oh, yeah, you know, I, I think I should go out and do that."
4: Yeah, the reason why she was called a prostitute is because she was one. Back then, there were a couple of different kinds of prostitutes. There was the temple prostitute, which would be equivalent to the modern day high end call girl. And then there was the regular prostitute that was like, would show up on cops. And that's what she was. She was like the one that would be on, if cops existed, she'd have been all over cops. Like, very scandalous life. But the Bible says that she had this interest or this awe in the God of the Hebrews. One day, Israel nation showed up as they're moving into the promised land they came to her city because of her interest in God she allowed a couple of spies to stay in her home in exchange the spies actually allowed her and her entire family to live so as the nation of Israel came in and took over and killed everyone else her and her family lived she left a legacy of allowing her family to live because of her Hope in Christ, changing, breaking the label from her past. What's even more incredible is that she went on to marry a good guy who loved the Lord named Salmon, spelled just like the fish, Salmon. Never understood that, but
0: they had a... There's clearly a lot of things you don't understand about the Bible.
4: Family. And you never expect a girl who is just selling herself... That way, to have a healthy home, to be able to raise kids, to have, to have a godly life. And yet, that's God's power in her life. He could do the same thing for us. But see, the story doesn't stop there. The coolest part of Rahab's story is that as she had kids, God did a miracle in her family. And five generations later, she became the great, 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 great grandmother of the most significant person in human history, Jesus Christ. How cool is it that God actually intentionally chose people like a prostitute? No, she wasn't
0: like a prostitute. She was a prostitute. Yes, uh, that it's an amazing story of mercy and forgiveness. And Rahab actually typologically is well depicts, if you would. The Church, you know, rescued out of slavery to sin death, and the devil, redeemed by the scarlet thread of christ's blood and saved and grafted it. You get what I'm saying here. Rahab is a beautiful picture of the church <clears throat> day of judgment would be the uh, walls of Jericho and the fall of jericho yeah that's, it's depicting christ's second return, yeah, um so uh the, yeah typologically, Rahab is super important, but it also shows us God's mercy and grace. For sure. But she wasn't like a prostitute. She was a prostitute.
4: To be in his family line, to let us know, doesn't matter what label you've had. Doesn't matter how messed up your past looks like. Doesn't matter what people say about you. God still loves you.
0: Christ died for our sins. Christ came to redeem and save sinners. If you aren't one of those, Jesus ain't got nothing for you. So yeah it's it's not that we've been improperly labeled. Yeah the labels unfortunately stick cuz they speak truth.
4: There's still a great plan and a great purpose for your life. Guys, we got to get rid of the labels from yesterday that bind us so that we can see the purpose that God has for our lives. So, we- so
0: get rid of the labels and then you can find your purpose. And where is this time in the Bible again? Who authorized this man to teach this? Because the Great Commission, Jesus says, baptizing, teaching all that I have commanded. Jesus didn't teach this. The apostles didn't teach this. This is an apostolic teaching. Salvation by relabeling? Yeah, I don't think so. About the future
4: that he has for every one of us.
0: Would you bow with me in prayer? Nope. Won't do that. Okay, so you get the idea here. Psycho Jesus, mishandling the Old Testament text, he then continues to mishandle all of God's Word. It's absolutely impossible to teach sound doctrine while twisting God's Word. It's just not possible. You can't do it. You have to actually understand what God's Word means, rightly handle the text, rightly understand long gospel, sin, grace, repentance, and the forgiveness of sins, correctly understand the problem that we all face as human beings, and what the solution is, Christ and him crucified for our sins. Ah, and yet we did not hear that. We heard a gospel nugget, something about the forgiveness of sins in there, but that was kind of an off-topic point and um, missed the point, if you know what I mean. All right, so what did you think?